I'm going to start one minute early so that we can uh, test the demographics of our audience. Uh, first of all, how many medical students are there? And how many nursing students? How many residents in training? How many graduated in the last 10 years? You can see there? You know what that proves? Money problems will go away in 10 years. <laughs> well, not quite. Good morning. My name is David Topazian. I'm a retired oral and maxillofacial surgeon, retired missionary. My wife and I served in South America for six years at the end of our uh, career as a tithe unto the Lord, tithe of our uh, assets, our spiritual and professional assets. And I'm a past president of CMDA. As a matter of fact, I'm the only dentist who's even run for president. And uh, I've had an interest in the cost of education and the devastating effects that uh, restraint in borrowing produces that I founded an organization called Project MedSend that many of you have heard about. And MedSend allows young people who are called to careers in medical missions to get to the field immediately as we take over the payment of their student loans. If they stay on the field and we're selecting people who are career-oriented applicants, they will never make a student loan payment uh, in their lifetime. And, of course, many young people now, since MedSend was formed about 1995, Many young people have had all of their loans paid off, still serving happily without the encumbrance of educational indebtedness. So, many people are thankful for MedSend, and I am too, and so we're going to start off with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to share together in a very important and sensitive area of our lives these days, and we pray that you would guide our discussion May it be honoring to you and fulfilling for those who have taken the time to come and listen. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will correct anything that is uh, untrue or uh, has sh shades of meaning that can be uh, misinterpreted so that we will leave here having gained godly wisdom, godly knowledge, and uh, go merrily on our way. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome, folks. We're going to uh, emphasize three areas of your life, whether you're borrowing money, whether you're trying to pay it back, whether you're contemplating borrowing. Uh, 
there are some various principles that we can follow that are simple, they're biblical, they're financial, and they're spiritual. And all of all three of these aspects of our very private lives uh, are important to recognize and to discuss and to get straightened out. And uh, for uh, for example, uh, I can tell you the story of a young resident who applied to Project MedSend for a grant. And uh, in that application, there is a there's a question that says, "How do you?" Uh, treat financial matters or what are your practices when it comes to finance and uh, this chap uh, resident physician uh, wrote uh, I uh, tithe and uh, I have a small income but I'm trying to be faithful to God and uh, I uh, use the credit card only to buy things I need and I pay the credit card off completely Every month. Well, I turn the page of his application, and it has a history and an evaluation of the of the status of the finances. And I noticed that one of the columns it said, "Do you have any credit card debt?" He had written down nineteen thousand dollars. And I said, "These two don't match." He paid his his uh, credit card off every month in full and then has $1,900 in credit card debt. So I called him, and I said, well, tell me, what, what is the reason for the dichotomy here? And he said, well, I, I pay it off. It says pay a certain amount this month, and then pay the payment next month. But I pay what they say to pay. And uh, I painfully pointed out to him that the payment that was the minimum required payment was only a fraction of what he really should have paid if he was paying back on a regular uh, amortization table. So you don't expect this from a very intelligent person. <laughs> but somehow or another, when it came to finance, he had this misconception that he was paying his, his full payment. Well, we looked into it a little further, and I found one payment where they where he was late in paying. And they had boosted, because of the late payment, they had boosted his interest rate on the whole loan to 30%. And he had no idea that this had happened. And uh, the 30% was usurious. I mean, that's an awful credit card payment to make, or... or credit card rate. So he had been trapped by inattention, uh, a lack of sophistication or whatever, but he, but the credit card was doing exactly what they wanted him to do, and that is to uh, get him to spend more money and to be lulled into a sense of security. Incidentally, there is a definition of the credit card. It goes like this. Credit card is a, a device to get you to spend money you don't have, to buy stuff you don't need, to impress people you don't like. <laughs> Pretty good. So we'll look at some of these uh, uh, financial principles and other principles that are biblical and that are the basis for money management. 
And you may think this is a little bit uh, boring, but when it comes to paying back student loans or to have uh, uh, control of your finances, these are very important. And even some non-Christians look at the biblical basis for uh, money management with some admiration. The Bible mentions frequently money and money matters. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus deal with money and material possessions. I'm reading these to you because this is being recorded so people can have an audio tape. There are 500 verses that refer to faith and prayer in the Bible, but over 2,000 verses that relate to money, money matters, matters of material uh, possessions. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Riches fly to the sky like an eagle. A smart man wrote that one. And Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who, has, he who loves money never has money enough. 1 Timothy 6 describes three groups of people. And uh, the three groups of people make a very nice Bible study. Let me re- just read you that portion of Scripture from uh, Paul's letter to, first letter to Timothy. He describes three groups of people, and maybe you can pick them out. The sixth chapter, the sixth verse. Well, I'm sorry, let's start at the five verse. There there was a a heresy in those days that said that God didn't have any poor children. In other words, God would not only supply your needs, but he would make you rich. Notice I said that's a heresy. And so he says that uh, between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And notice how Paul includes himself in this passage. He refers to we... And uh, that's his group. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So that's the first group. People who are not rich. Then Paul says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many many griefs. Uh, I wonder how many of us are in that second group. People who want to get rich. After all, we could lose, use just a little bit more. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness. And then in the 17th verse of that sixth chapter, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, 
and to be generous and willing to share. So the, the scripture is uh, clear about what the responsibility is for those who are rich. Anyone in this room rich? All of us. All of us. My wife and I, she's back there somewhere, uh, worked in Haiti a number of times in the 70s. And that was before an earthquake and before a flood and and, uh, cholera and all the rest. And they told us at the time, because we were living in a very remote part of the country, that the children in that town had meat protein twice a year if they were lucky. That was before the flood. And that protein was a skinny chicken that they would sacrifice on Christmas or New or uh, Easter. And by that measure, we're all rich, aren't we? So the scriptures tell us who are rich to be thoughtful, to be generous, to alleviate the needs of people who were uh, less fortunate than they are. Who, he who loves money never has money enough. And then, of course, you recount the story of the rich fool. Remember, he retired, put his feet up after he had made uh, his, his retirement goal, put his feet up and said, soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What was wrong with that guy? Do you remember him? Something had to be wrong because Jesus... Uh, judged him very severely. Anybody want to jump in? Yeah. Is this a story where he tore down his barns to build bigger ones? Well, that was a related story. Well, that's good. He was, this, this guy was called Fool. And that night his soul was required of him. Remember? Why was that so severely... Uh, why was that sentence so severe? It said he was not rich toward God. He left out, he left God out of the equation of his life. And you don't have to be poor or rich or know your Bible or not know your Bible. That is an offense to ignore God and to leave him out of the picture. Certainly there was nothing wrong with his being a good businessman and accumulating wealth, nor was there anything wrong with his uh, his uh, retirement. I just wanted to know, it's actually Luke 12, 16. And what do I have? Oh, it's Luke 2, 16 I have. It's 12, 16. Thank you. Thank you. He was not rich toward God. He left God out of the equation and his soul was required of him. Now, as I was about to mention, there's nothing wrong with retirement. I've retired four times. Each retirement gets better than the the last. So you folks have something to look forward to when you retire. This is a good one. Surety is forbidden by the scriptures. Can anyone... Define surety for me. Someone want to take a crack at that? Sometimes in the King James Version, it's called striking hands in pledge. Has ever, have you ever struck hands in pledge? 
surety. Four times mentioned in the book of Proverbs. Do I have to tell you? Somebody guess. Interest? No, it's not quite. quite. No, that would be a good. That's a good guess because it's got the word word sure in it. Ah, we got it. Co-signing, signing to take responsibility for someone else's indebtedness. And you know what? In the book of Proverbs, it says four times, "Do not do surety." One day, I opened my mail, and it said, Dr. David Tapazian, you owe $17 million. I was transfixed. (laughs) I went immediately to my bank statement and looked to see what I had in in the bank, and I can tell you it was not $17 million. And... I realized I had done something against Scripture that was absolutely stupid. And I don't know how else to describe myself. I was ashamed of myself. Surety is signing as a co-signer for someone else's indebtedness. And the Bible says, never do that. So how did I do with the $17 million? I had been in a real estate deal as a remote partner. This was not a a risky investment by any means, but the collapse of banks in Connecticut uh, in the late 80s uh, made some problems, and the government took over the banks, and there was a complicated mess. And what do you think, when I opened that letter and saw that it was a legitimate bill, what do you think is the first thing I did? Someone have an idea? I dropped to my knees. It was automatic. I dropped to my knees and I said, Lord, what did I get myself into? And I realized that uh, something like seven of the other apartments had gone uh, Chapter 8 bankruptcy. And the fine print on the contract said if one becomes bankrupt, the others take his required, uh, his obligation on themselves. And that's surety, and sure enough, I owed the money. I got out of that with a very smart lawyer, my daughter, for $63,000 over a period of five years. So essentially, I never felt the sting, and God was good. But I'll tell you what, my message to you is never, never sign for someone else's indebtedness. If you have a Christian brother or sister who is financially needy. Give them as much as you can with no requirement to pay it back, but do not sign uh, a note. And that's a biblical principle that should not be ignored. Yes? I have a question. So, does that mean that I'm a student? Is it wrong for me to ask my parents to co-sign my student loans? Well, if there's... It's required, like I can't... Right. Student loans, as you know, come in come into a, a special category that is unique in itself. And so when you're uh, borrowing for education and the requirement of the, of the lender with government approval 
requires that they have a co-signer, then you ha- you must do that. And uh, that's becoming quite common and maybe even more common under the, the new rules, which have not been completely written. So uh, this is, you know, when it's a closely held situation and it's in your family, uh, I think, surety in that case is allowable. I know if uh, if one of my kids wanted to borrow a car, I wanted to buy a car and I had to sign a note to help them out, I would do it. But I think those things that are within a family have a special uh, set of, of uh, parameters. <coughs> the parable of the talents. Let me spend a few minutes on this because it is one of the most important uh, broad and important statements on money and money and material matters. First of all, God's ownership of all. The man went away on a trip and he left his assets, his talents for three managers to manage. By the way, what is a steward? I'm full of definitions this morning. <laughs> you seem bored by it, but what about a steward? Somebody defines steward. Okay, while the owner is away to be responsible for managing something. Okay, give me the principle that comes out of that statement. Caretaker of someone else's property. Okay, you got it. Uh, uh, you got the essentials right there. Caretaker, but it's someone else's property. It's not. You're not a, uh, It isn't used in saying I'm a steward of my own resources, although that's true. But it's some. It's property that belongs to someone else. And so many times in this, uh, four times in this uh, parable, it, it says the man gave his money to be managed. It didn't matter how much they had, but how they managed. Because one had five talents, one had two talents, and one had one. And they were all given the same thing according to their ability. It says in that scripture that it... it, it uh, was meant for the person who was able to manage property. The master did not give the steward a uh, responsibility that was well over his head. And the, he, they, he treated him in his, according to his, uh, his ability. Action was required because the guy who took no action while well, he dug a little pit and stuck the talent in the, in the dirt, what was he called? Wicked and lazy. And action is required. You, you can't be a good steward by just uh, ignoring the asset because more is required of you. Poor stewardship leads to poverty. The, the bad steward, what he had was taken away from him and given to the guy who had the most. A biblical principle. Responsibility grows with success because uh, the, the master said, you have been faithful in a few things. I'll give you responsibility over many things. By the way, is there anyone here who, as a Christian, shies away from more responsibility? How about in your cl- in your uh, your Christian club or your your uh, CMDA chapter? Do you let somebody else do the work and uh, tail along with some excuse? The idea is to accept and to look for 
greater responsibility, I can guarantee you'll find it if you look for it. That's part of stewardship. Stewardship uh, includes something that's done for the master and the the, uh, happiness that results is also shared with the master. Come and share your master's happiness. And uh, poor stewards, unfaithful stewards, lose the thing that we want to hear most when we enter the pearly gates. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear when my works are judged. For the poor steward, there was weeping, wailing, and loss of happiness, gnashing of teeth. If you're a dentist, you know gnashing of teeth is not helpful. Poor steward was called wicked and lazy. Those two terms are terrible. Standing before God and hearing that you were wicked and lazy. Enough to motivate most of us. Stewardship can't be faked. It's just a very obvious uh, aspect of... Somebody's trying to mess me up. Spending decisions have a spiritual component and a growing Christian practices progressive stewardship. God wants active involvement in managing the assets he has placed under our jurisdiction. So, you're rich if you have options. We've mentioned that already. Having riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. Psalm 49.20 And we need to understand how we feel about our phobias. Now, uh, I mentioned it both in my prayer and in the introduction that we have different ideas about indebtedness and handling money. A lot of that comes from watching your parents and a lot of it comes from instincts that some people have that are very sharp and that others lack completely. But we can all learn the role of money management, and we should. Be a planner and not a uh, responder and understand the simple principle of compound interest. Now it's really getting boring, isn't it? Compound interest. Is there anyone here who does not know what compound interest is? I can't explain it. That's why I'm asking you. Yes. Did you say that does not know or that does not know? That does know. Today you put your money in the bank. Tomorrow, the bank says, your money has been on deposit for a whole 24 hours. We will give you some interest to make up for that 24 hours that we've been using your money. And so the next day, your your uh, money is worth $24 plus one cent. And then the next day, it's $24 plus two and a little bit more cents. And so the uh, accumulation of that little bit of, of interest over a period of time is what makes the world go round financially, believe it or not. It is a strong, strong principle that money grows by accumulating compound interest. Now, the banks run on compound interest. 
they make their money on compound interest and they charge you interest and it's compounded. And when, you, when it comes to student loans, this, of course, is where you run up the account very, very quickly if you're not doing something about it early enough. And then uh, when we are in debt, we're, uh, we're owing something to somebody for something, and debt is not pro- prohibited by Scripture, but it's strongly discouraged. Romans 13 says, Owe no person anything except to love each other. It's a great uh, alternative. Proverbs says, Avoid lending, borrowing, and countersigning. There it is, surety. Countersigning for someone else's debt. What are the causes of, of debt? First of all, need. Some uh, catastrophic need in a, in a family. Uh, if it weren't for the ability to borrow to pay these enormous uh, rates of, of uh, student loans, then uh, we wouldn't be in debt, but you wouldn't be getting an education either. So a legitimate form of indebtedness is educational debt. The idea is to keep it to a minimum, and to borrow as little as possible, and to pay back as quickly as you can. And those three things end up making debt manageable. But most of us are, have a tendency to look upon debt as being such a tremendous negative that we try to escape it by ignoring it. And that is a very bad mistake because compound interest keeps adding on. And then there's another basic principle called um, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. It's too strong to, to take this early in the morning. Greed. People uh, will go into debt about deals they have no idea the, the complexity of. Fear, self-indulgence, lack of self-discipline, credit card, lack of self-worth. There are some people who must give large and expensive gifts in order to prove their love to their Aunt Tilly, who is celebrating her 49th birthday, whatever. And I mean large gifts. When it comes to giving gifts, that's one of the downfalls of people who have this problem. And I usually say, put a limit on your gift giving, 25 bucks. Tell them you love them. Give them a hug and a kiss. And that's enough. You don't have to prove yourself worth by giving large, large, debilitating gifts. Five kinds of debt, credit card debt. Nowadays, it's just automatic, but it must be paid off at the end of every month in order for it to be uh, constructive. Other consumer debt, that's the kind you get. You have a card at each one of the department stores. That's consumer debt. Mortgage debt, buying a house, that is an acceptable form of indebtedness because you're building value over a long period of time and giving yourself a comfortable place in which to uh, function and live. 
investment and business debt are in special classes because that's what makes the business world go around is borrowed money. Most businesses function on the basis of borrowing money for new projects and that sort of thing. The dangers of debt, though, are that compound interest works against you, that you have when you're indebtedness, when you're indebted to the hilt especially, you have no freedom of choice. Choice is taken away from you. You're essentially a pauper. And until you get rid of that indebtedness, you will always feel the pressure of not having paid back, or at least you should feel it. It interferes with spiritual disciplines that I'll mention in a moment. And debt is, and family life is devastating because someone has uh, reasonably written that about 75% of marital problems start with money problems. And if you don't feel that that's a legitimate statement, look around at some of your peers who are married. If they're not on the same page financially, they've built in uh, problems in the marriage. Debt in the spiritual life is the same way and the slippery slope. Do you know what I mean by that? How How easy is it for you to borrow money for your student loans? Too easy. <laughs> Good. Someone had a que- uh, comment? It's very easy. How easy is it to pay back? It ain't easy. And that's the slippery slope. Easy to borrow, difficult to pay back, especially when the payback time comes. You have so many other things in your life that you want to do, like establish a family, uh, buy a home, and so forth. These, these are just lists of this, the disciplines of the Christian life. And uh, by uh, a well-known uh, theologian. But look at where service and giving, the highlighted uh, disciplines, are listed. Service and giving are two of the disciplines of the Christian life that are completely eliminated when one is saddled with indebtedness. And consequently, uh, two of the areas of the Christian life that are so, that are the most satisfying are obviated, are, are eliminated when a person is in debt. Serving the Lord. I know many, many uh, mature physicians who say, I'd like to go on a short-term mission trip, but I just can't because I can't afford to be away from the office. Of course, that displays a lot of other mismanagement as well. And we cannot give the way the scriptures want us to give, joyfully, according to the way, to the the prosperity that God has given us uh, when one is in debt. So, do we have to uh, sit around mulling over our missteps or whatever? No. Uh, Take stock of the situation and write a net worth statement. What is an a net worth statement. Does some one of you financial oriented people give me a definition? Net worth statement. In one column you write 
what is it? Assets, what you own. And in the other column you write liabilities or what you owe. And the, and the bottom line is your net worth. Usually negative when you're in your condition. And when you're in my condition, a lot of people have negative net worth because they've wasted their lives. And I know Christian doctors in their 70s who go to the office every day because they have to. And they're dominated, their lives have been dominated by their material possessions that control them. And the farce is that they think they control their backhoes and airplanes and so forth. So, uh, the idea of, of, of net worth is a way of... Uh, codifying your situation as it stands at the moment. But you have to have plans for your, in, for your assets to be sure that the inflow is greater than the outgo and then stick with your plan. Many people have a, a disciplined plan for money management that they throw out when it gets to be a little bit difficult. Analyze your spending habits and then live within your means. That means look at your checkbook stubs for of the four separate months of the year, uh, seasonally adjusted, and you will know what it requires for you to live on and to live relatively comfortably. When you when we suggest that you make these these uh, uh, lists of expenses and assets and liabilities. We don't expect you to put yourself in a straitjacket because if you did, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't abide by the plan at all. And so uh, be liberal enough to give yourself some leeway. For heaven's sake, buy some lipstick. Not, not you guys. And uh, what else do we do with our money? Lipstick and deodorant. Don't forget deodorant. Live it up a little bit. Go to a movie once in a while. Don't make your, your financial life so restrictive that you can't live with it. Adopt guidelines for spending and adopt a financial control plan. The inflow of money, what you've borrowed for a student loan, and the outgo, what you're going to spend that money on. And there should be no latitude in there for impulse buying. You say, I have this money available. I think I'll... Uh, I'll buy it now and worry about it later. I have to tell you this quick story, although it pains me to do so. A nursing student had always wanted to visit Hawaii. She didn't live in Hawaii. She lived in the northeastern United States. And she went to uh, Hawaii and met some of her girlfriends there. And she was in the midst of borrowing. And she, her vacation was supposed to cost... $1,500 of borrowed money, money for education. She got there, and, she, and they started talking, and they said, you know, there's this wonderful tour, and it's the Hawaiian Islands from the air and your own private airplane. I've always wanted to do something like that. And so she approached her three friends, and they said, you know, we came here 
prepared to, spe- to spend $800 on our time in Hawaii. And you're wanting us to buy, to, to borrow $1,500 more to pay for the $4,000 for the flight. And they didn't have the money. So she said, no problem. And she went and borrowed it from her student loan account. And uh, she was totally unaware that she had borrowed for money, money for something that was without any substance. And she said to me, well, I thought I should do it because I might never have a chance to come and do this again. And that was her justification for going actually $4,500 deeper in debt than she had to. Now, I think my personal idea about that is that she's limiting God's ability to give her a good time, or to give her what she needs. And you may think that's a little harsh, but uh, we need to make decisions that are based on rational thinking. And in this case, that was not. So you should know what money is coming in and how you're going to pay it out. And that's called income and or spending or allocation and spending plans. And if you're married, who should do the books? Who should balance the checkbook? For you who are not married, it doesn't matter. But for married people, the one who it does it the easily, easiest, with the one who does it most easily, should balance the checkbook. Freedom from debt. Spend less. Less than you earn and less than you have been spending. That takes a little bit of discipline, but you can make this a habit. And moderate your lifestyle. If you are in debt and the interest rates have gone up and you've missed a payment and you're paying 30%, for heaven's sake, talk to the people at the other end of the credit card or whatever it is. They are Things are negotiable. And in now with the... the new plan, financial plan by President Obama, we don't know what the rules all are, but there may be a more liberalization of uh, the terms of student loan, uh, student loan borrowing. So be alert, and you may be able to refinance at a much lower rate. If you're married, be of one accord financially. Oh, this is a killer, isn't it? But, you know, this is a simple chart that talks about uh, what what you do with your income, income per month, 10% of gross. This was obviously a Christian person because the, the first thing that was done was tithe. And then after the tithing and taxes were done, taken out, the, these were the priorities, housing, food, and so forth. One day, I noticed that my son was getting along in life and still living in this condo and uh, had three kids and it was a little crowded. And I said to him, Mark, when are you going to uh, buy a house? And he said, as soon as I can afford a house with uh, 36% of my income. I said, 36% of your income, where'd you get that from? He said, from you, Dad. (laughs) But he made a wise choice, and he did not buy a house until he could afford it. Now, that is counter to our culture. The idea in our culture 
is to buy it first and worry about paying it later. And that is bad for the Christian because when it comes to serving, there's no latitude. You're sort of locked in with indebtedness and you must be paying it back. This is a page that comes from a money management uh, program. You can get, duplicate this with uh, one of the money, you know, uh, MS Money or, or uh, the others, money, money management programs that make this a lot easier. But this is an organized way of knowing where you are financially. Now, if you save $2.74 a day for 40 years at 12.5%, what, what will you have at the end of a working person's lifetime? Somebody guess? Don't tell me you can't get 12.5%. I know that. <laughs> but uh, a few years ago, you could. And, and a few years hence, we will be able to again. I can guarantee it. But what would you have... $2.74 a day for 40 years. You want to guess a million dollars? That's what it is. If you have a 30-year home mortgage, this shows you how compound interest can work for you. You have 30-year home mortgage, $120,000 at 7.5%, and your monthly payment is $840. If you took that $840 and paid your mortgage payment every other week instead of 12 times during the year, you will make an extra payment of principal at the end of 12 months. And your mortgage would be paid off in 23 in the third year, and you will save interest of $48,000. And most people... Who are buying a house? Who are paying 120 dollars? I mean, for uh, 840 dollars a month, could make the little trip down to the bank because it costs essentially nothing. Now, does the bank want you to do this? No, and they put prepayment penalties. So, if you borrow money for education or anything, make sure there is no prepayment penalty. And the bank doesn't want you to do this because they want that money and never feel sorry for a bank. This is a 10-year mortgage, $250,000, a total expenditure of 318000 and uh, interest that mounted up over the 10 years to $68,000. But if we had, as the bank wanted to do in this case, wanted to pay, uh, wanted you to, to stretch this out over 30 years instead of 10 years, here's what the consequences would be. 30 years, same mortgage, the interest you pay would be $233,139. Compound interest because interest is make what makes the money world go around. And the minimum monthly payment trap. Never buy anything on the basis of whether you can afford to make that money payment. Buy things on the basis of need and so forth. But for rational reasons. So if you borrow $1,900 on your credit card and 
make the minimum required payment, how long would it take you to pay off that credit card if you didn't make another purchase? I'll tell you, 19 years. And you will pay nearly $3,000 in interest. I can't tell you, I can't go over this, it breaks my heart to do this, but the, the, the nurse had indebtedness of $58,000 and wanted to, to do a PhD. And uh, she didn't make any payments. She just ignored it, and it started mounting up. So in just four years, it, her indebtedness went to, from 58000 to 73000 But what she didn't realize, there was a capitalization clause in her borrowing. Everybody know what that means? That means at the end of a period of payment, when she was paying the interest on the loan, they took the interest and they added it to the principal amount of the loan. And that then the next month they were they were paying she was paying interest not only on the loan but also on the extra bit of the loan that had been capitalized. And that is a a whirlwind way to make money for the bank, but not for her. And so she ended up with total interest uh, of $91,000. Just absolutely devastating. So if you have the opportunity to accept or reject the capitalization of interest, run away from capitalization because it's a device by the bank to get rich quick at your expense. And then we should have spending priorities. You should know what you're going to do with the money that either you borrowed or that you have earned. And tithing and giving first. If you don't give, if you don't uh, pay your taxes second, they throw you in jail and you can't tithe and give. And debt repayment should come high up on the list. Lifestyle sort of down on the list. But for most Americans, number four becomes number one. Buy it now, have your enjoy your lifestyle and worry about paying for it later. Tithing is what you owe the Lord. And if you're borrowing money, I do not advocate tithing on borrowed money. But if somebody gives you a gift, or as a medical student told me one time, he said, I tithe by self-denial. I said, well, that's interesting. What do you do? He said, I shop with a list. I know exactly what I'm going to spend. And when I... uh, get to the checkout, I take one item that it was a necessity, put it back on the shelf, and I say, Lord, that $2.74 is for you, and I put that in the collection plate on Sunday morning. And so here is a young man who is serious about his spiritual discipline of giving, who uh, had devised a way of tithing from self-denial, and that's good. Types of giving, I'm not going to spend time on this, but these are all very important. And you should give to the hilt when the Lord has raised you up out of financial, uh, what would you call it, misery. 
and put your feet on the solid rock. Be involved in your giving. Give to missionaries whose work you can support until you become a missionary yourself. Uh, give to projects that have value. Uh, these are some of the ways giving can be done. But look at the most common financial mistakes. First of all, not giving and tithing. That's my number one. Because I've seen many, many people in my, because of my interest in money management who have uh, neglected their tithing and their giving. And uh, it's devastating when that happens. Especially when a lot of money goes through the hands of most physicians and dentists and professionals. Neglect and tithing, consuming lifestyle with uh, abuse of the credit card, lack of financial control, buying and selling automobiles. Automobile drive, you drive it off the lot and it loses about 20% of its value right then. Uh, ignoring God's primary financial advisor, either a close friend or your spouse if you're married. Get rich quick mentality. Risking borrowed money, making hasty decisions, surety, which is banned by the Bible and from all of you now until eternity, and poorly understood investments. If you're married and you come home and say, I got this great deal, if your spouse doesn't understand it, don't do the deal. That's as plainly as I can say it. Somewhere here, this talk ends. And I'm open for a few minutes of questions. Can you explain the capitalization idea one more time? Yeah. You owe interest on an asset, like a student loan. Oh, let me give you this real-life example. A resident physician has a pneumothorax or something. Gets sick and he, he, uh, he's married and the combined income just about gets them through every month. But when he gets sick, he's unable to make the student loan payments because his... Let's see, I can't remember how this went. He was unable to do the work of his residency for a long period of time. And so the, he, he tried to keep up with the payments of interest. And at the end of the first year, he knew that he knows that either, even though he had made the interest payments, he's no further ahead. He's behind. And the reason was that the bank had taken the interest that he owed the first year and added it to his capital, to the basic amount of the, the borrowed uh, money. This is unpaid interest. This is unpaid interest, right? If you pay, if he paid the interest alone every month, it would not be added on because it would it would have been paid. So at the end of the month, he owes say a thousand dollars for the interest for the mortgage payment, but he can't make the payment. So instead of just Saying he owed two thousand the next month, they said he owed uh, he owed it on the original thousand dollars, 
plus now his loan was uh, $2,000 because they'd taken the interest from the first that he couldn't pay and added it to the principal and the, or the capital. That's where the name capital comes from. I didn't do a good job of explaining it, but it's paying interest on interest for the life of the loan. Interest on interest for the life of the loan. Anyone else want me to give you an obscure answer? <laughs> yes. I'm not hearing this, so listen. So, for residents who are trying to make loan payments, right. how do you balance giving to other people with trying to repay those loans so you can go serve? Yes. What David, balance repeat do you the question, David. So, if I take, repeat the question. Yeah. You're going to have to help me with this because, okay. because I... So in your list of your top five priorities, giving is number one. Right. But if you're trying to pay off your debt to allow you to go serve, right. you know how much to give and how much to put towards your own debt so that you can serve. Right. And you're earning in the meantime. That's yes. the, That makes the difference. Yes. So the question is, how do you manage the payment of uh, some sort of reserve fund so that you can serve? when you, you can't make the payments on the balance that you currently owe. Is that it? Um, for example, if my friend Crick is overseas and I want to support him and his wife in missions, yeah. how do I know whether to give that money to him to support him or to pay off my own debt so that I can go? Yeah. Well, the basic principle is for you to get out of debt as quickly as possible. So I don't support him. Right. <laughs> right. Now, there are ways of doing this, and one of them uh, comes of a real-life case of a young lady who had uh, been in that situation, called to the mission field, and uh, was ready to go, and she, she lacked something like $200 a month. And then when I looked at her finances, I noticed that she was paying $200 a month to support a missionary. And she was, the, the interest was mounting up because she couldn't pay the whole monthly payment. And then uh, I said to her, why don't you go to those missionaries? She had worked with them on a short-term project in Latin America. And I said, why don't you go to them and tell them you're having trouble? Oh, so the next time I saw her, I said, have you gone yet? No. Finally, she got up the courage to ask. And they said, she, uh, oh, you're giving us $200 a month? Oh, we didn't even know about that. Well, we're over-supported anyway. So <laughs> she was supporting them, and they didn't need it. So I think the, it bears out the principle, get yourself out of debt, because borrowed money is doesn't belong to you, really. It belongs to the bank or the lender. So get out from under your own indebtedness, and then you will have one of those happy, highlighted uh, spiritual disciplines that you can enjoy. Boy, that took us a long time.
working at huge student loans. I know Medicine is one of those organizations. Are there other organizations as well, resources that you can use for doing that? Yeah. I know uh, no other organization that does what MedSend does in the medical field. There are several uh, organizations that are mimicking MedSend in other fields. And so uh, not knowing any other that does it. We know that Samaritan's Purse, for example, will will give you a post-residency trial on the mission field for two years. And they will pay a stipend and, and uh, your student loan payments at the same time for that two-year period. But there is not really working out the way we had hoped it would work out because people are not staying on the mission field after the two years. The, the whole idea would be it's, it, they'll, they'll catch the spirit and be difficult to hold back. And it's not happened. But I think that MedSend is is a good way to go, and you have to not feel sorry for MedSend. Many people say, no, I, I really have to work off those loans myself because MedSend uh, is doing too much. That's not the way the Lord has blessed MedSend. It's been hard work, and we feel a real calling, but you shouldn't shy away from using the resources that God has raised up. There was one more here. Yes, well, consolidation is to take all your loans and put them in one monthly payment. And the, if you do this with a private consolidator, you usually pay a whopping fee for that, for them to do that. And it's hidden. So it's not open and above board in many cases. Now, if the government says, we're going to decree, as they did several years ago, that interest rate... You're, interest rates are going from 6.5% down to 2%. And there's an open window for, for uh, getting this, taking advantage of this lower payment. Then you should jump at doing it because if it's a government-sponsored plan, it is kept without, uh, without the, uh, what would you call it, greed that the, <laughs> that the private company does. So be careful of consolidation, but there's going to be a lot, of, lot now if Obama's plan uh, goes through as far as student loans is concerned. One more. One thing that I did not realize when I consolidated my student loans through the federal government was that the interest does capitalize. So if you have unpaid interest on your federal student loans and you want to consolidate, that does go on your principal. Yes, that's and that right. was not explained to me everything turned out okay, but that was not explained to me when I consolidated my loans. But then, at that point, you do get a fixed interest rate, and mine is fixed under 3% yeah. for my federal Which loans. makes up a little bit for the fact that it was capitalized. Okay, folks, you've been a real good audience, and thank you very much for coming. <laughs>